Well, good morning. Uh, today, I get to bring the word today. And uh, one of the things, I don't know what it is lately when we plan me preaching, it's usually on a weekend that is full. And uh, I think it is a way for me to test the boundaries, to be uncomfortable, and uh, to grow. And I'm excited to bring you Galatians 5 today. And as we look into God's Word, I got a little thing to start with. This is a recap of what we've been going into application. This is something where we get to leap into kind of the things that we've been hearing these past couple months. So will you join me in prayer, and then we'll get going. Jesus, Lord, I just want to thank you for this time to be in your word, uh, to be up here, Lord, and I pray that you would be the one honored. Lord, it's not my words. I've done preparation, but ultimately, you're the one that has your hand over it, Lord. I pray for the body today, that as we hear your word, that they'll at least get something that can challenge them of how they're living and what they're doing, Lord. Pray that you would be the one honored, you would be the one glorified, in your name, amen. So one of the things that I always do in my youth group before I start a lesson is I do a recap. And something I've noticed with a recap, and probably you adults as well, you can't remember diddly squat. I asked, what did we learn last week? And it takes about a minute and a half for the turns to start going, and you think, I don't even know what I ate for breakfast yesterday. And uh, so I thought of what have we been going over in the last sermons. And obviously, we've been going through Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. But what are those themes? What are those different things that we have been challenged with? One of them is how we are sinners, our need for Christ, the need for judgment for our sins, the need for justification, the results of justification by faith, and being blessed by God's work of justification. And so we've been walking through Romans and seeing how Paul is challenging us with these things. We need to know that we're sinners, just like what Romans 7 is talking to us. But also, we need to know the process. There's judgment. There's justification being made right. And it's by faith. And it's also God's blessing unto us. And this is just a continuance, Galatians is, of these themes and points to our responsibility and our dependence on God. What we need to do, and also it's it's God's work. So there's a balance. R.C. Sproul says this, the Christian life requires hard work. Our sanctification is a process wherein we are co-workers with God. We have the promise of God's assistance in our labor But his divine help does not annul our responsibility to work. And many good men of God, they use scripture to back what they say. And Sproul had Philippians 2, 12 to 13 as an inspiration, which says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, 
But now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And I think this is where we need to start of, if we're going to be talking about walking in the spirit, what Galatians 5 is bringing to us in these verses that were selected, we need to think of what is our responsibility and what is God doing. Now, Romans 7, when choosing this passage, I think it brings to light something important when we're talking about the Spirit. We have a problem. There is sin. Many times we can say the word sin but not realize how severe the root of sin is. We can recognize sin and say, yes, that's bad. But then when it comes to my life, it's, it's not that bad. I'm fine. I can do this. And we don't come to God with that. And there's a couple things in Romans 7 where it talks about sin's advantage in law. Um, where it says, oh, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into the bondage to sin. For what I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I have doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing with the, that the law is good. There's a tongue twister again. I would stumble too, Ethan, just so that you know. There's a lot of uh, words that go in and out. But when it talks about the law, we see that the, when the law was established, it was good, but it shows where we fall short. The law says, do not do this, where our flesh, we do that. We fall short. It showed us our sin. And if we were to take the penalties of the law every time, we would be found guilty. And sin is there. Sin has the upper hand if it was just based on the law. Sin has a deceitfulness, and this is going again to the severity of where in verse 10 and 11, it says, And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And so we can see the devil is not more powerful than God, but his one strength is deceitfulness and deceiving us and taking advantage of the things that we hold true. And in verse 18 in Romans 7, it says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. Paul recognizes flesh, my flesh. 
I know nothing good dwells in me. And I think that's where we need to sit as we start our look into walking in the Spirit. We have to realize that our lives, our flesh, our fleshly desires, they want sin. They want the things that please us. And it's changed when God is in our life and directing those. We cannot cleanse ourselves from sin. We cannot justify ourselves. And only Christ can sanctify us and produce spiritual behaviors that are upright and righteous. And that is where we need to start. Derek Prince was a Bible teacher and a radio, had a radio program in the later 1900s said, Endeavoring to live the Christian life by your own efforts is the greatest single hindrance to walking in the Spirit. And that is where we're going to lead off into Galatians 5, 16 to 25. So would you please turn there as we read Galatians 5, 16 to 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, <clears throat> oh. dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, then that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now the, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. We're going to start right at the beginning of these verses. And it has a very bold first sentence. But I say, walk in the Spirit. Now many of the times when we hear the word walk, we think, I'm walking. And there's different forms of walking. you got walking, you got Molly hates it because I walk slow and slouch and it's a slothful. Or you got the speed walkers where they have their hips going. I've never seen hips get so far while they're walking and how much speed you can get while you're walking. It's even an Olympic sport now. But when we come to the word walk, it's important to know where the actual meaning in the Bible is coming from. And it's a Greek word. The Greek word for this word walk 
and I'm no Greek scholar, is papro. There were the uh, parapoteo. Now, what this means is to live, to regulate one's life, and to conduct oneself, or to make one's way. And so, when we look at this word "walk in the Spirit," it doesn't mean just like walking. It means I'm living in it. I'm making sure that things are in the way of where my life is focused on the Spirit. I'm conducting myself. I'm changing things so that I can be walking in the Spirit. Now, this is crucial. This is crucial in our Christian walks. For those that say, I follow Christ, we need to be thinking of how am I conducting my life so that I'm walking with Christ. Charles Spurgeon said, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are ships without wind or chariots without steeds. Like branches without sap, we are withered. Like coals without fire, we are useless. As an offering without the sacrificial flame, we are unaccepted. And that's where we need to set our minds in of what does it look like if the Spirit's not involved. And that's where we come of what does it look like when I am not walking in the Spirit and I am following the desires of my flesh. Galatians 5 does an amazing job of showing us our desires, the fleshly desires, where the Spirit is not involved. And in verse 17, we see the flesh's desire is against and in opposition of the spirit's desire. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. That word set is important of it actively puts something right in front. Our flesh's desire is saying, no, I don't want to do what the Spirit wants me to do. There's a battle. And it goes right back into Romans 7, where we talked about in verse 14, where it says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh, sold into the bondage of sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do. But I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing what the law is good. So now no longer am I doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. It's in opposition. And if we think that if I give my life to Christ and I want to serve him, but I'm not being observant of my fleshly desires and realizing that they're in battle 
against each other. I'm deceiving myself. I'm not saying God is holy and separated from what I desire or what I think should be. The second thing that we see is the flesh's desires produce worldly deeds. The fleshly desires by itself does not produce goodness that we see God working in us. And it gives us a list. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, and carousing, and the things like these of which I forewarn you. If we look at all these different things, we can see that they get grouped up of whether it's sex, religion, human relations, of these are things that we want, that we desire. And it may not be in the full form of the words of when you think of it, your brain, you look at outbursts of anger. You're like, well, I get road rage. Is that an outburst of anger? But then in Matthew, you see how Jesus challenged that thing. If you're angry at your brother, you have committed murder in your heart. And in those same things, we see where it can lead. Romans 1, 24 to 25 says, Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their heart to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worship and serve creature rather than creator, who is blessed forever. When we give in to the desires of our flesh, when we say, I'd rather be angry and swear at that guy that cut in front of me, or... I'd rather not forgive this person because they have wronged me and that is just unright. We're saying my way, what I want, is better than what God wants in my life. We're saying I'm worshiping my thoughts, what I want, rather than God, the creator. And this number three is following the flesh's desires will not allow you to inherit the kingdom of God. You will be under the judgment of the law. What our heart wants is not always what God wants. And you can see that in 2 Corinthians. Now God changes our desires, but us alone... Our flesh's desires, these things that we want, will not allow me to inherit the kingdom of God. When I stand before the judgment, he's going to wait. And if Christ is not there mediating for my life, there's no sanctification, justification, any of these processes, I'm going to fall short. For the wages of sin is death. What I get paid is going to be death. 
So now that we see this side of flesh, what happens when we walk in the Spirit? When I'm actively seeking the Lord, actively pursuing what happens? When I walk in the Spirit, I will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Paul says in verse 16 and 17 of Galatians 5, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. And we see... I will not carry out the desires. Paul's talking about this idea of if I am setting priorities, following the Lord, what he has, he will keep me from the desires of the flesh. Romans 8, verses 12 to 13 says, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if we are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting death the deeds of the body, you will live. When I walk in the Spirit, I am not under the law. Verse 18 says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. There's this thing called Holy Spirit living versus under the law living. And we talked a little bit about this of when the commandments, when the law was given. It was a way in the Old Testament of these are things you should do and not do. Now, people found out that the law was also a way to show I'm a sinner I cannot meet all these standards. I fall short. And so what we see with Holy Spirit living versus under the law living is under law is there's punishment if I fall short in all these boxes. I have to meet all the boxes. Where Holy Spirit living is God is the one working. God is the one mediating. God is the one doing the things in my life And those penalties, he has taken. He has put in on himself on the cross. And this is the benefit of when I walk in the Spirit. Also, when I walk in the Spirit, the Spirit produces spiritual fruit in me that pleases God. And we see this list. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. I want you to key into something. This verse doesn't say fruits. It says fruit. Singular. Whereas the flesh's desires multiple. And this is something that we need to grab a hold of and really cling to. When it says fruit and it lists all of these different fruit, 
It's not saying, oh, I'm going to pick joy today because I don't feel like a loving person. I'm going to pick gentleness, but not self-control today. What it's saying by saying fruit is they're all connected. They're all intertwined. I can't love the Lord God without having joy in my life or being kind or having self-control because the love of God's going to challenge me of how I conduct my life. And it also challenges the way I think. And so this is where we need to come to when we look at this fruit is how do I view those things? And it's also having a right view. When it says love, it's not how the world sees love. It's agape love. It's a full, encompassing love. It surrounds you. It's self-sacrificial. This joy, it's chara in the Greek. Joy, gladness, peace, erin, a state of national tranquility, like bigger peace than just the peace sign. This long-suffering patience, <laughs> It's a hard word to say, but it just means patience, endurance, constancy, steadfastness, kindness, chestoros, moral goodness, integrity, goodness, agosin, uprightness of heart and life, faithfulness, pistis, the character of one who can be relied on, gentleness, meekness, protes, meekness, mildness, self-control, and the Greek word for that is Agatiria, which means temperance, the one who masters. Not just, you need to be self-controlled and not do this. It's, I'm being observant of what I'm doing. And I challenge you, you don't have to be a Greek scholar to actually look at what those words mean. Because if we just take as is, we're like, oh yeah, these are good things. But if we see that the Spirit is the one leading He's the only one that can produce that in my life. The actual versions of those things in my life. And it's not pick or choose. They're all together. When I walk in the Spirit, I belong to Christ and have crucified my flesh's desires. In verse 24, it says, Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, there's about four other times um, where this word crucified does not mean what Christ went through on the cross. The crucifixion was Christ was on the cross. But when it talks about crucified, it means I am it's a severe word of executing, of I'm saying, no longer will I do this. I have a severe passion, zeal that I'm saying, no longer will I do these things, and I'm going to cut it off. I'm going to be proactive. Romans 6.6 6 says, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. 
And that's where we need to start. We need to view that our sins were crucified with Christ. And so we need to cut it off and need to be proactive and on guard. That's why a lot of these passages, you'll see me throw in a whole bunch of passages because all these things that Paul writes, they're all intertwined. Everything in the Bible, they intertwine because it's God's word. It's what he's saying to us. And I'd like to point out in Ephesians 6, God doesn't give us offensive weapons to go on the offense. He gives us defensive weapons to be on guard. And the thing that is our offensive weapon is the sword of the Spirit, which is his word. God's word allows us to be proactive, to go out. When I walk by the Spirit, it also challenges me to keep in step with the Spirit. In verse 25, it says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Now, in some translations, it's let us follow the Spirit. In ESV, it says keep in step with the Spirit. The Greek word for living is zeo, to live, breathe, be among the living. And then this word, that, that keep in step idea, is stocheo, is to literally walk in line, walk in a straight line, proceed in a row to follow in someone's footsteps, or to keep in rank and line. Or, this is one of the last ones, to march in file or in battle order. So this keep in step, the spirit says, hey, there's a track. There's something that we look forward to, and this is how you do it. You need to follow. You need to be proactive. A.W. Tozer said, the spirit-filled life is not a special, deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and partial of the total plan of God for his people. As the fruit of the Spirit, you cannot pick and choose how you're going to live your life with Christ. You can, in your mind, but you're going to be under judgment for it. If you are fully, fully surrendering to Christ, you have to give your full life to Christ. Say, Lord, this is yours. For allowing the Spirit to lead. So I gave you the flesh's desires. I gave you what happens when I walk in the Spirit. And you may be thinking, that all sounds good, but how do I walk in the Spirit? I'm going to let you know right now, I'm a, I'm a man, and I can give you my thoughts but ultimately, we have to seek God's guidance in what he says in his word. What is he challenging with us for those that are following him? And it starts with giving my life to Christ. We have to call upon his name. We have to say, Lord, you are the creator. You are the one who died on the cross you saved me from my sins. 
If we want an example, we look at Romans, we look at Galatians, the, the one that wrote it through God's inspiration, Paul. Paul persecuted Christians, and God got a hold of him. And he changed his life. He was zealous for his position and how he was moving up. And it changed to being zealous for Christ, being a slave to Christ. How his life totally transformed because he gave his life to Christ. It wasn't, I'll give you this part of my life. It was his whole life. And he became persecuted because of it. The second thing of how do I walk into the Spirit is by putting to death my flesh by obedience and submittance to God's word. And when thinking of this, I, uh, one of the things that came to my head of, most of you knew I took a road trip. Uh, it was a three-day road trip, I think. It kind of flew by. But we drove all the way to Nebraska and all the way back in three days, which to Nebraska is about 23 hours, 22 hours, Jonathan told me. And it took about us 24 hours getting back home. And uh, when you're in a car full of stinky guys for that long of a trip, you have to find ways to uh, pass the time. And Thomas put on a sermon by Tim Keller. And um, the title of that sermon was How to Change Deeply. And when thinking of, as I was thinking of the sermon and of the sermon by Tim Keller, I was really challenged about this idea of sin and my flesh. And he, in that sermon, he was talking about the severity of sin. And he had this little quote from the sermon that I want to read to you because it talks about my, my flesh and obedience in some minutes to God's word and how we can deceive ourselves. Most people try to change by just trying hard to avoid the consequences of sin. They try hard to avoid the consequences of sin. And that means you are not going to change deeply. Here's why. For example, some years ago, first time I realized this, I was a young minister. My church in Virginia, there was a, cu- there was a couple that came to me over and over again when they had marriage problems. And there was a man in the congregation. It was a man who was a husband. He had a wife. And he was abusive verbally. He often... Often he didn't physically abuse his wife. He was very verbally abusive. I remember one day he comes into me into a panic and says, well, because his wife had actually literally left, she had gotten up and left. And he says, you know what? It's my mouth. It's my language. She had told me. You have told me. Other people told me this is awful. This is terrible. I'm really wrong. And he was weeping, and he was sorry, and he said, would you call my wife up? And I called her up, and she was staying. They came in. He wept, and he wept, and he looked very, very repentant, and she says, okay. Okay, you've never admitted this before. You've never said this before. This is great. And so she moves back in. 
And for about five months, six months, five or six months, he could watch his tongue, and then he went right back into it. And she did leave him for good. And as I look back, I realized something at the time I didn't realize. And that is, he was sorry, not for his sin. He was sorry for his consequence of his sin. So as soon as the consequences went right away, he went right back into, or put it this way, he was sorry for himself, not for his sin. He wasn't sorry for the grief that caused his God, and he wasn't sorry for his grief for his wife, which meant he didn't love God or his wife enough to change. He essentially said, boy, this is going to be embarrassing. This is going to be trouble. This is going to be difficult. In fact, it was a problem with his pride. Because his heart hadn't changed, what he loved hadn't changed. He was working directly on the will and what that meant was. He really didn't find the sin odious. He found the consequences of sin very troubling. So what he did was he tucked in and he basically didn't cut it off. He cut down the tree but didn't take out the roots because the roots was his need, frankly, as a man to always be respected and to have people bowing and kneeling to him all the time. And he was a Christian up here but wasn't. Underneath. Hearing that sermon and just reading this again challenges me of what is my true full obedience and submittance to God's word, God's direction in my life. I can have it on the outside in the words I say, but is it actually inside of me? Living. Did you just cut off the tree and leave the roots? Did you say, you know, it's good to be moral. This heaven thing's pretty good. But I love my sin. I love the things that I do. I love being recognized. And those things change, as I was talking with the kids, of when God comes into our life, it directs what we focus on. When I walk in this, how I walk in the Spirit, this third point is actively pursuing God in His direction. And that takes looking in God's Word. It's the, when I cut the roots out of my life, you need to add something into it. And it's pursuing God. It's pursuing what he's challenging us in his word. And you see different things, whether it's Ephesians, Galatians, Genesis, Exodus. Different books challenging us how we should lead. And a big theme for all those is follow God in his will. 
And it's not just saying, I'm going this way. It's actively, I'm choosing. And this fourth point and the last point is staying accountable to his truth. We have to know we will account for our actions, for what we do, how we live. If it says walk in the spirit, if I'm not actively doing it, I'm going to be accountable to that. I'm going to get what I deserve by what I put into it. And I want to end with this quote from James D.G. Dunn. And it's uh, Romans, a Bible commentary for every day. And it says this, The believer caught between flesh and spirit is also caught between death and life. That is what happens when God intervenes in a human life. That intervention does not necessarily bring tranquility. In fact, it is more likely to bring tension and conflict. It is the life surrendered to the flesh which lacks inner conflict. For the decline through sin to death can be so easy. It is when the Spirit enters a life to contest the sway of sin and counter the weakness of the flesh that conflict ensues. The presence of moral conflict is a sign of the Spirit's presence, not the Spirit's absence. If we don't see the battle, if we don't see that there's conflict in the way I want it rather than God's way, there is a problem. The Spirit's not there. I want to close with that because I want to challenge you of how are you living in every aspect of your life today? What are those guards? What are those things you're holding on to? What are those things that you're not acknowledging? I think many times for me, I can say, yes, I live by the Spirit, I want to do this, but I'm oblivious. Molly knows that firsthand on a lot of different things of, I can go do something, but I don't even think about that outcome, or what could happen if I do that, or I didn't even think of that, is a common phrase that I use in my house. And many times it comes to my Christian walk, and maybe you can attest to that as well. But I want to challenge you here, sitting here, reading God's word. What are those areas? Have you given those over to him? So will you join me in prayer, and let's just give it to him. Jesus, Lord, I I thank you for your word, for this challenge to walk into the spirit of walking by your word, by what you're challenging us, by all that you've done. Lord, I pray for this congregation. You know our hearts. You know our minds. You know the ones that haven't given their life to you. And I pray that you would challenge them, you would speak to them, and that they would talk to you, Lord, of what they need to give over. And for those here Let's say they follow you, Lord. Reveal to them areas that they need to give to you. What are they holding on to? Maybe it's 
what Tim Keller was preaching about of, I'm a Christian on the outside, but underneath I'm struggling. Lord, reveal to us the things that we need to see and what you need to do, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge. And in your name, amen.